Welcome to the World in 10 podcast, bringing you the big news stories of the day, explained and analysed by the Times of London. I'm Toby Gillis, and the next voice you'll hear is Rebecca Myers. As an increasing number of Hamas-held hostages are freed, we ask, can they ever live normal lives again? On day six of the ceasefire between Israel and Hamas in Gaza, we're beginning to have more of an understanding about the conditions those kidnapped from Israel on October the 7th have been held in. Today, sometime between us recording now and tomorrow's World in 10 episode being published, 10 more hostages are expected to be freed. And if reports some of the Times journalists on the ground are getting come to fruition, it may be that a further extension of the cessation in hostilities will be announced. But for those freed and their families, their lives have been changed forever by the experience. In today's episode, we'll start piecing together what they might have been through and how they can ever fully recover. We'll start with Richard Spencer, one of the Times' correspondents in Tel Aviv, who explains in a moment what we know of the conditions the hostages were held in, but first, why those details are still on the sketchy side. The Israelis were quite sensitive about this because there's a fear that they might be forced to say something that endangered those still in captivity or indeed give away information that Israel you know, might want to use for intelligence and, and they don't necessarily want Hamas to know everything that the hostages are telling the Israelis. They also may not want to have a narrative that Hamas treated the hostages well. The stories of how they were treated are very varied. There's a kind of assumption, perhaps, because of the way that the attacks unfold or the extraordinary brutality of those attacks, that they would also be brutalised in custody. There doesn't seem to be a mass brutalisation. There were some instances you've heard of people being beaten as they were taken away. There's some sort of acts of what you might call sort of casual cruelty, like showing that 12-year-old videos of the massacre. On the other hand, the captives were properly fed as far as the hostage takers were able to, but, you know, ran out of food as the rest of the um, enclave ran out of food. And now to the recovery of hostages, particularly children from their experiences, whatever those might have been. Arguably, the most detailed account we've had has come from the father of Emily Hand, a nine-year-old Irish Israeli who was freed on Saturday night. Tom Hand has revealed she's been unable to speak since, only the softest of whispers instead since regaining her freedom. She's unable to use the word Gaza either, such is the trauma she's felt. Instead, she calls the entire region the box. So can she and those like her ever become quote, normal again. Dr Yael Moser-Glassberg is from Schneider Children's Medical Centre near Tel Aviv, where 16 child hostages have arrived so far, as well as five parents and one grandparent who were held by Hamas. She says Emily's silence is standard behaviour. The paediatric ward is very quiet, you know. I know you heard it from the father of Emily Hand already, but our ward is quiet as well. Nobody is crying, nobody is screaming. The physical condition is quite stable. Their nutritional status is uh, less uh, stable. We were prepared for this uh, situation since the beginning of the war, actually, from the 7th of October. I think it's too early to say uh, what they will need, what will be the end result of it. But they are getting a very, very, very good care and they are being wrapped and hugged by their families and the, and the, and the staff from all kinds of uh, specialities. And I hope, I really pray for them to be in a good condition, to be able to return to a nice uh, and hopeful uh, childhood. More children are expected in the latest release of Hamas hostages. Most will head to Dr Moser Glassberg's medical centre, where their quest for 
some sort of normality will begin. In the meantime, whether there's a ceasefire extension or not, by next week the expectation is that the violence will have restarted. So discussion is once again turning to what might happen to Gaza if Israel were to successfully eradicate Hamas, which is their stated aim of the war. The so-called two-state solution is seen by many as the ideal outcome, and two-times columnists Hugo Rifkind and Melanie Phillips, both of whom are Jewish, debated it on Times Radio this morning. We should mention this clip is an edited version of a far longer debate, which you can see on the Times Radio YouTube channel now. The Palestinian agenda is not for a two-state solution. They say that a Palestinian state is a means of destroying Israel. When you look at their insignia, Palestine is the whole of the state of Israel. That is what is meant by a state of Palestine. It's immensely frustrating that I have to find myself arguing arguing almost against the position I believe in, simply because I disagree with what Melanie is saying so much. But I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu is not in favour of a two-state solution. There were ten times more settlers in the West Bank than there were at the time of the Oslo Accords. Yitzhak Rabin was, was killed by an Israeli settler. Oh, there, is huge, there is huge opposition among the Israeli right to a two-state solution. There's huge it's, opposition it's, because it's, it's not it's, a two-state solution. It is a final solution. I, I to don't, talk I, about sorry, Benjamin I, I, Netanyahu in these circumstances where there's been 100 years of Arab rejectionism, Palestinian rejectionism, Palestinian mass murder as a result, to talk about Benjamin Netanyahu with his views, which you don't know, neither, neither, neither of us knows the complexities of this man's position. Every single time this state has been offered to the Palestinians, they have refused you, you and have replied just let you go by finish mass murder. Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, has yet to lay out his idea for Gaza in the West Bank once his country's offensive is complete. It may be the type of result that any politician would be delighted by, but when a North Korean politician gets just 99.91% of the vote, believe it or not, something is awry. Yes, that was the result for the ruling party's candidates in a local election last week, which might seem comically large. But this is the country of 100% satisfaction, where voting is mandatory and there is not a single defector. So what's changed? Why are people being allowed to show dissent at the ballot box? And I guess more importantly, why is it being published in state media for the first time? Here's the Times' Asia editor, Richard Lloyd Parry. I was talking to an expert about this and he said this is the country where everything is perfect in the official version everyone not only supports but absolutely adores Kim Jong-un the great leader and no one has any different ideas at all so the question is why because clearly they control the state media so even if people had voted against they could have concealed that and no one would know Someone, and it must be Kim Jong-un himself, because this couldn't happen without his personal say-so, has decided, well, you know, we are going to um, to make it look a bit more democratic. And the fact that they're, they're, they're reporting this now shows that they're OK with it. So, you know, it will be interesting to see next time around whether the 0.13% of voters against increases, perhaps as high as 0.15 or 0.16%. Because if that happens, then we really will have a trend. What will remain unclear from the outside is whether this acknowledgement of dissent for the first time is also an acceptance of dissent, which some pundits say could be the start of a process towards a more democratic nation.
We've just time for two more quick stories. The first, we're going to the world of gymnastics and some good news for a sport which has got one World in 10 host in particular, namely no names, delighted. Uh, the news is that coaches will no longer be allowed to weigh gymnasts in the UK under new rules. Now, I wonder who that host could be. Yes, I do have a vested interest in this. I I investigated for a couple of years on abuse in gymnastics um, in the UK, but also in the US. And that included being weighed and criticised for their weight from a very young age. This new rule bans that completely for under 10s in the UK and for anyone under 18 without consent. Um, Gymnastics has been rocked by scandals globally. Even the greatest gymnast ever, America's Simone Biles, has spoken about the abuse she suffered at the hands of disgraced coach Larry Nasser. So this is a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Uh, To our last story, a classic tale of a mum defending her daughter. But this ain't any old mum. This is Beyonce's. (laughs) Yes, so Tina Knowles has taken to Instagram in fury over suggestions some have made on social media that Beyonce has lightened her skin for the premiere of her new movie, Renaissance. She's branded them racist, calling those making the claim self-hating, stupid and ignorant, and said she was fed up of criticism of her daughter, saying she helps people whenever she can, she lifts up and promotes black women and underdogs at all times. Give that woman a halo. (laughs) (laughs) That's as cheesy as any ending I've come up with. We should go before people stop being um, crazy in love for the world in 10. (laughs) Thanks for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the Times of London. If you don't hate us, see you tomorrow. Listener.